Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasa. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs, any edition you want, any products. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. That's how they get all that good out-of-print stuff. Let's hear a quick word from them. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that and more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they got the best price. And if you got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb and head over to NobleKnight.com. And don't forget to tell them the Tone Show sent ya. Today, we're talking about a free adventure in the third issue of Dragon Plus. So let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What or who is your favorite demon? Topher Kohan, let's start with you. Um, so I'm going to be really kind of blatantly obvious and go with the, the what was named in the final print issue of Dragon Magazine, the greatest villain in D&D history, Orcus. You bastard <laughs> and i did that mostly because i figured mike shea would pick Aww. that one later i got um, my i got my orcas figure sitting right here and i don't have any peach cobbler so blah yeah. mike um just eat my peach cobbler uh i picked orcas because no no seriously he's one of the few bad guys that has been in every edition of DD if, if i remember correctly uh he does have that mike's right that really great giant icon mini if you can get your hands on it and don't spend a fortune uh and he's just a really great bad guy and he's very cool and he's a smart, intelligent bad guy. You can have a lot of fun with your players. So I'm picking Orcus. It's a good pick. Sam Dillon, what or who is your favorite demon? Uh, Zugget Moy. Ooh, good choice. She is the best, the most evil, the most weird alien shape form. <laughs> I, I've liked her ever since the original Temple of Elemental Evil. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and she graces the cover of of the Dragon Plus magazine, which features this adventure that we're talking about today. So it's been a while since we've seen her. You know, I don't think we saw her really at all in fourth edition, no. and, or uh, or third, really, or third, yeah, or yeah. or really second. <laughs> I mean, she really wasn't she because you know she was actually replaced. Uh, by Lolf, even in the Temple of Elemental Evil, like the way that it that the storyline ended up going, um, even though she was theoretically supposed to be the the main, you know, her and Therizdun were supposed to be like the main villains um, and EUs, because you know this was Greyhawk we were talking about. So uh, when when the Forgotten Realms kind of got really popular, uh, Lolf and 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 others sort of took over, and Zugged Moy kind of went by the wayside. But you know, you think about it, like fungi are just weird and alien and they're like these weird colonial creatures and i like i like like mushroom people and like you know i i like the myconids and i just i, I really like that because it's so it's so foreign and yet so natural like you know 
we have mushrooms with our dinner all the time. But anyway, <laughs> they can be they can be really old too. The I think yeah, I heard that know. the oldest living thing on the planet right now is a giant fungus that's like the size mm-hmm. of a steak. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. that bends your noodle, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like something right out of Lovecraft. Yeah, it is. That's a uh, that's bizarre and terrifying to me. Uh, Mike Shea, who or what is your favorite demon? Uh, well, first of all, I'd just like to make a, a correction to my fine uh, friend, Sam Dillon. Uh, I believe, given the propaganda they handed out to us at Gen Con, it is pronounced Zugtamoy. Wow. <laughs> Gauntlet throne. Um, and, yeah, uh, so I don't really care. And I, <laughs> I, I listened to the audiobook, and that's how the guy pronounced it. So that's got stuck in my head, and that's how I pronounce it, Zugtamoy. There you go. Uh, second, I, I'm going to pick Orcus as my favorite demon. Nice, nice. No, I'll go with the Balor. I'll, 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 oh, I'll nice. drop one level down. Are you, Balor. Are, are you sure it's not pronounced Orcus? Alore. I mean, you know, it could be. <laughs> or Alore. Right. Alore. It's got an umlaut, an umlaut over the U. <laughs> um, yeah, the Balor is pretty badass. I mean, it's it's kind of a direct ripoff of the Balrog from Lord of the Rings. With the flaming whip and the lightning sword and all that, I always love the idea of a demon that had a vorpal sword. I don't, I don't know if it has a vorpal sword in fifth or not, but I remember that like you know everybody was scared to death fighting a Balor in first edition because it's like yeah they just show up and cut your head off and that was the end of that. Oh, that, that was always pretty mysterious. But they're just they're they're big you know walking tanks full of you know spells and damage and all kinds of cool stuff. So I. I I just, you know, they, they, they most directly represent what we would typically think of as a demon. Let, let's get this out of the way, really. See, I pronounce that Baylor. Well, this has been the D&D Pronunciation <laughs> Guide podcast. So Sorry, apparently, how, many, how many listeners do you think are left at this point? <laughs> so That's what Mike and I always them, do. They give the guys who do the audiobooks for them a big Bible with a pronunciation guide. For yeah, all like when, when Ice-T had to pronounce Menzo Baranzin. <laughs> yeah, so they get like a big like Bible that is all the pronunciation guides. I want to get my hands on that. Uh, so if you are reading the third issue of Dragon Plus, you will notice that towards the end of this issue, there's an article about the Adventurers League, and they're giving you a free D&D Expeditions adventure. And Expeditions are those adventures that can only be played during organized play. A lot of people online have asked, hey, how can I get my hands on these? Well, you can get one and check it out right now uh, in the Dragon Plus app, which is available for free on your mobile devices through the... It's available on Android and uh, in the iTunes store, the App Store for Apple. Uh, This adventure is the first of the Expeditions adventures that takes place during the Rage of Demons storyline. So we are going to talk quite a bit about this. Uh, We may get into some spoiler territory, so I want to warn people up front as they're listening to this. It's kind of hard to talk about an adventure without giving stuff away. So we're definitely going to get into that. Um, This adventure... Uh, is actually five kind of miniature adventures. Each one's supposed to take about an hour. It takes place in the town of Hiltzfar, obviously, which is this uh, racist town in the Forgotten Realms that uh, only loves humans, and it captures non-humans as slaves and forces them to fight in an arena. So it's kind of the perfect place to find evil people who are susceptible to demon worship and that kind of thing to begin with. A lot of it is, you know, it's taken straight from its organized play form, so it's not formatted for 
home play. So there's a lot of advice for first-time DMs and how to run something for the Adventurers League is within there. So if you've never played an Adventurers League adventure, uh, this is kind of a cool opportunity to check some of that out and see how that works. Um, we have an array of Dungeon Masters with us tonight. Uh, Topher is, of course, the regional coordinator for the Adventurers League in the Southeast. Uh, Mike Shea is a GM who does a lot of Adventurers League play. Uh, I have occasionally played in the Adventurers League, and Sam, I believe you have no experience with this current iteration of organized play. Is that correct? That is correct. If you want to go download it and follow along while we're talking about it, that would be great. Uh, I think the first thing that I want to talk about here when we get into talking about this adventure is what do you think of this structure of mini adventures? Obviously, it suits organized play very well um, because you can get together, play for an hour, and then not. And, you know, there's sort of this thing that links all of this prophecy that a madman spouts off that links all of the adventures together. And it's kind of sandbox style. You can investigate them in any order that you want. Um, but there are, if you do them in the order they're written, it's kind of the easiest way to do them based on the equipment you get. Uh, so, Topher, what do you think of the structure of this adventure, five mini-adventures sewn together? I think it's really interesting. They did the same thing at the beginning of season one mm -hmm. as a kind of, uh, and I think it fills two niches. One, it gives a good intro to the area, right? By the time you're done with this, you're really going to know Hills Far relatively well, right? As well as you can from a single adventure, because you're going to get to see a lot of it in these five mini adventures, which I think is fantastic. And the second thing it does, something that we've talked about in this podcast, and I know Mike's talked about it before, is that in theory, your character after this should be really close, if not level two, really close to level two. So it gets over that issue of having first level characters that are really easy to kill in in five in five e. So when you go to three dash two, which is also a one through four adventure, you should have some experience under your belt. Your character, if if it is not level two, should be really close to level two, so that maybe it can survive a little longer and not have that quick death that we've seen before. Uh, I think that. This format works better at conventions than it does in in-store play because of the time. They say it takes one to two hours per adventure. I think that's kind of ambitious. I think it's more like two to two to three hours per adventure because of stop and start, getting people from table, taking the breaks in between. I know that for the first uh, season one when they did this, they wanted you to swap DMs in between. Mm -hmm. I, I, they're not recommending it anymore, so I think it'd be a little more streamlined. But I think it's great, and I think it's a good intro. I wonder if maybe you'll see for every odd-numbered season of Encounters that they do this, because this is great for conventions, and there's a lot of conventions that start in the summer, starting with Gen Con, right? And so you can divide games up into hour blocks, because you play through one mini-adventure and then go on. Um, it does seem to me like maybe some of these would take a little longer, particularly if you have completely new players at the table, right? Um, and it is a level one adventure, so it's plausible that you could have level one adventures at your ta adventurers at your table, and things could take a little longer as you try to get them into it. Uh, Sam Dillon, you, uh, having none of this current iteration of the Adventurers League experience, what did you think of the way that this was structured? Well, I really liked it because I run a sort of sandboxy game. Uh, and so it really fits in with the way that I kind of prep my own personal games where I have these little 
little areas where, okay, if they end up over here, here's what they're going to find and here's what they're going to learn. And here's the, you know, little set of NPCs that they, you know, that they could run into and what those people can tell them. Uh, and so having it, you know, and in fact, when I printed this out, I sort of, I, I, you know, split up and I stapled together the pages for each individual mission rather than like stapling the whole thing together. So I have, you know, you know, the 10 page mission plus, plus the map that it came with, plus, you know, the, the appendix that's all in, it's, it's a, like a nice little kit and I can put them in any order. And while you're correct in that, you know, it, it it's, it really is the sort of the easier path or the path of least resistance, or maybe the path with the most buildup of information. If they go in the order that it's shown, they don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I like it. I think it's a, a really nice format. Uh, I'm not familiar at all with the other, uh, uh, you know, adventurers league formats, you know, what they do with the other adventures. So I don't, I'm, I'm not really making that comparison. I'm just using saying, you know, using it for my own personal game. If I use this at home, it, it's really nicely laid out for me to use it really easily. And one of the things that I thought when I was reading this was, wow, it's so easy to hack this apart and steal pieces of it because of mm -hmm. the mini adventure structure, yeah. you know, and, and that's what made it seem kind of great for home play is that you could really, if you like the storyline of one of these, because they're so short, it's real easy to up the difficulty for your level 10 party if you want to. You know, swap out the mm -hmm. monsters for some harder monsters and, you know, maybe make some DCs a little harder or whatever, and you're kind of good to go, you know, which which was cool to me. Um, Mike Shea, you are very familiar with the structure of these Expeditions Adventures because you wrote one. Uh, so what did you <laughs> think of the structure of uh, this Harried in Hillsfar adventure? I like it. Nice. Um, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, to me, you know, the, the standard D and D adventures of a four hour, roughly a four hour adventure. The, the, certainly the uh, expedition expedition of no, the encounters adventures are four hours are intended for four hours long. And, you know, you can't always count on that. You know, you might have an opportunity to play a game where you only have a couple hours at Gen Con. It was very nice because you could sort of fit in these two hour games in between other stuff. You know, if you, it was kind of hard to run games back to back, four hour game after four hour game. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to be able to say, well, I'll drop a couple of these two hours. You know, I'll do a two hour game, then I'll take, you know, an hour off and go, you know, somewhere else and then do a four hour game and then take another hour off and then go back and do another two hour game. You can still get, you know, three D&D games in. Totally. Uh, you know, in a, in a shorter amount of time. So it's, it's nice. It's nice to have adventures that are built around this, uh, the short one to two hour. Like it'd be a good way to introduce somebody. You know, you might schedule like three hours and say, we're going to talk about what the ED is. We're going to have you guys build your characters. And then we're going to run through one of these adventures. And they're pretty good self-contained adventures. Like they're, you know, they have nice beginning, middle and ends. They have exploration, role-playing and combat. You know, they have all the things that make D&D, &D, you know, a, a good D&D &D game. But they have it in packages that are not expecting a four-hour block. Um, so I, yeah, I think it was a, it's a, I think it's a good idea to give them away. You know, I think that's a, it's a nice thing to, it's got all the monster stat blocks in there. You know, you could literally, if you knew how to play D and D, um, you could, you know, print this out and print out some pre-gen character sheets and have enough to sit down and play D and D, uh, without having to really pay anything. Totally. Totally. Um, so I, so I, so I like, I like that a lot. And the thing that's really nice about this too, is that 
if you are a very experienced DM and you're playing this, there are kind of options, uh, particularly at the beginning, where you can expand the exploration and interaction sort of section of this by, by figuring out the prophecy as it goes along. Uh, let's talk a little bit, actually, about that hook. The adventure hook to get into this is you're on your way to Hillsfar because you've heard that there's great opportunities for adventurers in the area uh, because weird crap's been happening. And you meet a madman on the road who's covered in blood and, and badly beaten, and he keeps shouting these crazy words over and over again. Uh, and if you're, I, I guess if you're doing Adventurers League style play, right, if you're at a convention and you're crunched for time, they kind of say like, and you figured out that the prophecy means you have to go to these places and figure things out. Um, but you also have the option of kind of improving your way through that. Uh, what did you guys think of this hook that sort of tied all the mini adventures together? I actually thought it was kind of, for convention play, obviously, it works well. Um, they had a handout that goes along with it. Uh, Sam, I know that you're going to get to that. Uh, so why don't we start with <laughs> you, Sam? What did you think of the hook okay. for this adventure? Um, well, so let me let me start by saying um, here, here's one place in the format where uh, they have, like, the short introduction and then the long introduction, but the first – the the first half of the long introduction is basically the short introduction, but with a little more detail. They should have just said – they should have just left that in as the short introduction and said, if you're playing and you're short on time, you you know, give them these clues. Give them this handout. Boom, you're done. And then here's two other paragraphs, however, if you want to embellish it. Instead of calling it like the short introduction – because I'll tell you what, the long introduction, the, the little – okay, they have box texts, you know, uh, but <laughs> – the way that it describes it is actually a lot more evocative in the long – and it's only like one paragraph different. Right. So why not just have that also be in the sh- – I, I, I felt like there was some – maybe just some editing or something issues there. Um, but in terms of the quality of the hook itself, well, so let me get to the other format thing. It, it mentions that if you use the short intro to give the players handout one and then move on, and if you're going to use the long intro, give the players handout two and move on. But then there's – Nothing labeled handout one or handout two. There's just player handout. Uh, but that's easy enough to – once you stare at it for a couple of minutes and wonder what the heck they were doing, it kind of dawns on you. Um, at least that's what happened to me. Like, oh, okay, I understand what they're trying to say and what's italics versus what's in texts and, you know. In terms of the quality of the hook, ah, see, so because I don't play organized play, for me, I'm thinking to myself, well – they would have to find these clues another way because they're not going to run into a madman spouting prophecies in the middle of the road. That's just not quite my style. Um, so it's not my favorite, but, you know, it's serviceable. Um, sometimes, you know, it, I don't know. It's, the prophecy is not – well, so let me just say this. He's supposed to be spouting the, like crazy talk, but – so let me let me tell – I'll read you uh, for the audience the first – thing that he supposedly spouts so he says there is a message from this land's new master and it's hidden fivefold the first is the place where dandelions rise above and cover the people the virile and the virulent can be one in the same the hell-tinged one is lost and then several are found okay that's not the prophecy of a madman 
that is the prophecy of a witch looking at a crystal ball or a person reading your cards or a person reading your hand lifelines or something. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. it's not written in madman speak, right? And then, I mean, that's just the first one. Then there's like four more that are written in that very same way. Um, and the thing is that this thing is so good about giving advice to the DM about, oh, here's how you might do this or here's how you might address that. I really wish they would have said, you know, if you're, you know, if you want to get into character and role play the madman, here's what you, here are the words you might, you know, spout out rather than making it such a sort of reasoned, grammatically written sentence the first is the place where dandelions rise above and cover the people like really <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's not a madman spouting you know that's like someone calmly saying a making a beautiful scene in your mind you know, I, I don't know it just it, it hits kind of the a weird tone and um because i'm not a huge like prophecy a madman prophecy kind of person it doesn't quite hit the right tones for me yeah and i do th- you know the prophecy angle obviously uh has been played over and over again. I've used it in my campaign many times. Um, you know, so uh, it's certainly nothing new. Mike, what did you think about this as a hook? Uh, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, one, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this was specifically designed to be the short adventure to run at a con. Mm-hmm. Um, the one they did in season two, you know, was you're hanging out in a bar and somebody runs in and recruits you for something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's literally like it had you know we, yes. we always joked that like you you just want to go get a drink and five times people come in and interrupt you because <laughs> okay. things are going poorly in town and they need your help and you're like I just want my drink like get you know three other people came in here before you so they're they're really and and there's sort of a game there's sort of a gamey nature to this like it was kind of funny because I sat down to play and they said here's this prophecy and I'm looking at the the DM and the DM's looking at me and I'm like, is, is this where we choose which one of the missions to go on? Because like, I'm going to play three of them over the con. So I wanted to know, like, you know, I, I couldn't, I had to break the, you know, there's a bit of where the game has to be broken to know that that prophecy all equates to five different scenarios that you're going to run. So I could say mm-hmm. I've done scenarios one and two. I'm happy to do three, four and five. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know what they are, but that, so that was an odd thing for the con. Right. Like you wouldn't normally have that. Um, I think for running it as a home game or something like that, uh, you could just rip that whole prophecy part out or apply it somewhere else completely. And you could just take any one of these adventures and just plop it right in the middle of whatever you got and have your players run into a farmhouse while they're on the way to some bigger mission. And then they have to deal with demon goats. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to drop them in as sort of mini, mini scenarios in a larger campaign. And I don't think you even need to do anything with the prophecy, right? The prophecy is really just your select screen for which one of these you want to do. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. And I, and as I said, you know, so that's kind of the nice thing and the bad thing about it, because I feel like in order to use it in my game, I would have to rework it quite a bit. Whereas I could just throw it all the way out and not use it at all. And my right. game is still not a bad thing. You know what I mean? I could still use all five pieces in my game without having the prophecy at all. Oh, I want to know, like, why is why does this guy get to be the special crazy guy who has the prophecy, right? Like, why is why is that happening? Right. And I want right. to know There's more no about backstory. That. Yeah. 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 What, I, what made him go mad? What put this in his head? Mm-hmm. And then caused him to just spout off these weird, poetic, you know, Jeffrey Chaucer lines mm-hmm. to you in the middle of the road. And there's nothing about that. Topher, what did you think of this hook? Well, I agree with both of you guys 
what you guys have said already. But so coming from the Adventures League side, you've got to think of this as the kickoff for the Adventures League season, mm. right? So the hooks are there, and I'm sure somebody is going to tell me I'm wrong. So once again, uh, uh, Topher's wrong at toferkohan.com. It's <laughs> uh, a filter set up for that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, but these the hooks are not here that for just this adventure, right? They're, they're to get you into this adventure, but you may not know the end of these hooks until the end of season three. Right, so we may not figure out why this guy is the is the chosen one or the crazy guy or whatever until the end of season three, right? So oh, I see. Okay, right. Yeah. So the, you're so, right. You're right. I wasn't thinking about it in those right, terms, but true. yeah, you're right. Yeah. So Mike's completely right. If you want to take one of these adventures out and plop it in your home game, then you don't need to pay attention to the the hooks at all or these prophecies even one little tiny bit. But if you're going to sit down and this is your kickoff for the entire season, this season of of um, Adventures League for expeditions then these are going to not only get you into these adventures but also may tie together three three dash two three dash three and so forth and so on you know we've talked a lot about these mini adventures let's get into them for real what is your favorite adventure what is your least favorite adventure um you know honestly i really like the first one because for several reasons um it's easy to work in to pretty much in anywhere you are this can be this can be thrown into your game number 1 so of course coming from a non adventure league player that that works really well for me but secondly so the the group run finds this farm okay based on the the clues in the first prophecy if if you're playing with prophecy and they there's all these weird birth artifacts that are happening so for example like uh this the f- couple that owns the farm is supposed to be like uh sterile and they couldn't have kids for like many many years they tried and tried and tried and they ended up adopting all of these wayward kids who were kicked out of Hillsfar cuz as James said earlier you know Hillsfar pushed out everybody but the humans and so they adopted all of these sort of you know kids who were half orcs and tieflings and halflings and everything and then all of a sudden recently uh the the woman the 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 female part of this couple of farmers i can't remember her name oh b her name is b Mm -hmm. she got pregnant but she didn't just get pregnant and have like a baby and okay oh everything's happy she had six children she had sex tuplets and each of them on their hands and feet are they each have an extra finger on each hand and each uh, extra toe on each foot the the reason i like that is because um if if even if you, you so you can know things about demons or you don't have to know anything about demons but the thing is that that particular type of mutation is obvious but like if nothing like let's say those kids grow up right if nothing else is wrong with them, it's something that you might not even notice. You know what I mean? So it's such a kind of subtle – it like starts with this very like subtle, obviously there's something really horrible going on. And you know, and then, and then they go into this barn and they, they find that this like this – well, first they have a bunch of interactions and it's really, really nice role-playing uh, opportunities. And then they go into this barn and this, this pregnant – damn this this pregnant goat female goat is like trying to give birth and she's gonna have like six goats and one of them has like two heads and they're like (laughs) their fur is dark red not because of the the blood from birth but because the fur is red and it's just this this thing is written with such evocative language Mm -hmm. 
um, that with a good DM who really gets into the, you know, here's what you're smelling when you walk into this room. Here's what you're seeing. Here, here's what your, you know, your senses, you know, the hair on the back of your neck is standing up because there's just something wrong. There's a, there's like an, e- there's an evil presence here and you don't even know what it is. And oh my goodness, the goat just fell over and the baby that's coming out has two heads. I mean, it's just like this amazing, evocative language. And it's not that it that 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 they don't keep that up through the rest of it because they still kind of do, but I love how this first episode takes these sort of normal mundane farming things and turns them into something really grotesque and and unsettling, but in a very sort of naturalistic way, like the the six six sex tablets and the six fingers and you know goats with the wrong color fur and you know one of them has two heads and just you know and these are all things okay i'm a biologist so i love this kind of crap these are all things that actually could happen like in real life a goat can be born with two heads okay not very often of course um humans can be born with six fingers not very often doesn't happen but it it you know so it can happen so you know it's that kind of naturalistic but enough little things like that build up on this farm in just a few scenes that it really gives you that sense of dread like oh crap something's really going on here and yet the point of the mission is not really to find out what's going on so it really does a lot to build up the idea of something really wrong and we don't know what it is and i really like that i think they did it they did very well so who was it sean merwin that wrote this yeah yeah he did a great job yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he's killer. He, everything he writes is, mm-hmm. is really great. Yeah. So, okay. So, obviously, first I have so many questions about two-headed goats that I will ask you after the <laughs> podcast. So, that was your favorite. What was your least favorite? Oh, well, I was not extremely fond of Chapter 4. Is that the uh, the Goristro chapter? It's the... It, it actually is, yeah. So there are some good things about this. Um, there's the weird, like, etching on the floor where it's obvious that someone who was there previously uh, was was figuring things out and etched things. And there's some really nice evocative, like, descriptions of what's on the walls and different things. Um, and then, you know, there's this woman from the Lord's Alliance who just shows up for no reason. Mm-hmm. So my little note next to her thing is WTF. Like, what the hell? <laughs> she does not absolutely does not need to be there, but yet they had to. So they did something I really like, which is they tried to work in all these factions. But in this in this episode in particular, it's like, okay, well, how what faction are we going to work in? Oh, let's pick that one. Okay, she just shows up, but you know she's not an adventurer, so she's not going to help anybody out, and she doesn't really know anything. But here she is. It's kind of like, oh, gee, thanks. That's not really necessary. <laughs> um so I didn't really like that one. Uh and I and the thing the thing is that when when the Garistro appears um as tall as a giant but with the head of a bull it emanates wicked power and burns your eyes temporarily blinding you. It takes you in with a red eye stare. It bellows and then simply disappears. Poof. You're safe. Everybody's safe. Go back outside. Talk to the lady who doesn't need to be there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just I, I feel like it was just a let that that was a letdown for me. I was like, you know, you're gonna throw this, you know. So spoilers, it's a really great scene. They're they're like doing this ritual, and it's this this horrible creature that's a bunch of like these weird like cow beings and humans and just different parts all sewn together, and they're doing this ritual to bring it to life, like Frankenstein's monster and. 
it comes to life and then eh, just poof. What I hear you saying is that certainly those things, and I, I call those two things out as like, those are a little weird, but I also understand why they're there. They had to work in the Lord's Alliance. The, you know, the Goristro thing, yeah. they can't, yeah. you can't have players fight a Goristro. Maybe yeah. there would have been some cool thing like a demon deal could have gone down to, to have their lives saved, right? Yeah. Uh, but again, I think with the idea of organized play in mind, I, that kind of makes sense that maybe you can't strike a demon deal as e- easily in organized play and have it actually have a real impact on the game. But I also hear you saying that like there was all this cool stuff going on too, which mm-hmm. makes me feel like even the, the your least favorite could still find its way into your game with some tweaks. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it's my least favorite is because the constraints of, of it having to be an organized play compatible sort of adventure makes it so that it's got to be written in a way that I would not run it. And so that's going to be the one that would have to have the most work done. So that's, you know, and, and so I picked out the most sort of nitpicky biggest problems for me with it. Cause it would be the one that I had to say, okay, I got to rework this. I got, I'd probably completely change it mm-hmm. if I ran that. So, sure. but, but the other ones I would basically leave as is. All right. So Mike Shea, uh, I think I like. I'm not. I'm kind of copping out. I like the farm one too, and it's a great one. I, yeah, I liked it because it was pretty. It was non-traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did have a lot of interaction. I'll say that the whole birthing of demon goats freaked everyone at the table out. <laughs> like I don't know why we're fine with decapitations and dismemberments and all sorts of stuff, but it's like you watch a goat giving birth, and and the way it's described that like the goat's belly is huge, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, ah, oh, and we're all like, I, I just. It was great because I had this like imagine, you know, I imagined like all of our PCs just standing at the door of this barn. None, none of us want to get close to it, <laughs> and we're all like with our eyes wide and our mouths open, and nobody's saying anything. And then the players are exactly the same way, <laughs> you know. And it, but so so it was a little that that kind of freaked us all out a little bit. We're all kind of looking at each other like I don't know, I don't know where this is going. I'm not sure I like it. Can um, I can I break in for a second? Sure. See that that's what I'm talking about. That the reason that happens is because. Like the birth of a goat, like in real life, it's like a big deal. Like a goat gets born. Like people, most people have probably seen portions of a birth. Yeah. But in this case, like it, it's kind of, you have in your mind, like this really strong notion of what should be happening and it's not happening. Like some other bad stuff is happening, you know? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, just that. So I remember it the most of all of them. Sure. You know, like I played, I think, three or four of them, and that was the one I remember the most. Uh, the one I liked the least was the last one. Um, and and I, so I, I didn't get a chance to dig in. Because, so the, the problem I had is the DM that ran it for us wasn't very good. He was, it was late in the game. It was Sunday, and I think everybody's just exhausted, and I think he was exhausted. And we just, you know, the, the, the final part of that is you got to, like, tip over the or somehow screw with these big urns. And he just wasn't having any of our like improvised ways of knocking over the urns, and like everybody had to roll multiple high DC checks to do anything with the stupid urns, mm-hmm. and uh, and we were all just failing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that battle went on like an hour, and I'm just oh, man. literally sitting there like leaning back in the chair, and he's and he's like, "Your turn," and I just roll a die and be like, "Next," you know. And that I must have done that three times. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm seeing, like, it, you know, yeah, so it was one of those, like, it should have been improvised. He should have, you know, any just amount of energy would have made it better. But it's just a huge room with a lot of things going on, and, and we didn't, 
So the problem is, I don't know if it was really terrible written or if we just had a bad time with it. But but that's the one I remember playing and not really enjoying as much. So that was the Abyssal Braziers or something, right? That it had, yeah, yeah. See, I liked I that it reads very well. It's very short, but it reads very well. Yeah. So yeah. They, so they say like DC ten intelligence and arcana. He was making us do fifteens on everything, and we're like level one. An action must be spent by a creature adjacent to the bracer to physically tip it over. He never gave us a chance to do that. Like, we were trying to do that, and he was like, you got to roll, like, a DC-17 to do it. So he made stuff up. Oh. So, so yeah. I don't know if it's as nearly as bad. Uh, one, one general complaint I have is that, you know, I think the experience rewards for these are too small. Uh, I think 150 experience would be better. Um, two of them should get you to level. I mean, if it were me running it, I'd get you to level two after the first one. You know, I, I like to give people level two quick. Um, mm-hmm. And and 100 experience means you have to do three of these before you're going to get to level two. And there's, you know, these are hard. You know, if you want to get all darkest dungeon about it, you could certainly run these as is for level ones. Um, but I would probably, you know, try to get people level two a little quicker. Yeah, well, and that seems to always be the way in, in fifth edition, right? <laughs> the sooner you get to level two, the better. <laughs> Because your survivability goes up. Yeah, so right. Just just the hit points. Yeah, you know that's that. The rest of it be damned, but you know it, you're so likely to get killed just because your well, what's the negative hit points are so low too. Yeah, but the the um the the one with the pits where where you can run, you go through. You're looking for the fountain or whatever it is, and you you can fall into the pits and the like. Falling into the pits does two d six damage. That's it. Uh, that's first level character, you just died. It can be it can be bad news certainly for that kind of thing. Although they do have the free resurrection right for characters of level one. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's called making a new guy. Right? Like you got, <laughs> yeah. And like I said, you know, if you if you really want it to be sort of a grisly first edition style where you know you've got your army of characters out of the front and they're sending them in five at a time you know that's okay you know that's a, yeah. that's certainly a style but um i think well and you know, these it, it also like failure is not as high as it used to be yeah but it also is about demons right so i mean you know i i like the fact that it's really deadly um i am i am super sensitive to first level characters having you know being so squishy but you know, it it is kind of like it, to me. It makes sense that it's so very like oppressively hard in some in some of these that I read. I'm like, oh my god, like that would kill a first level part. Yeah, uh, I think so. the main thing, like, and this is a, an easy house house rule cheat. Even if you're running organized play, you can do this, and no one will know. Don't tell Topher um, <laughs> that you know. I'm just, right here. No, uh, what? Um, <laughs> this is Joe Letostowski, by the way. Uh, <laughs> So, um, just, you know, just fudge how many hit points it takes to kill them rather than knock them unconscious. Right. You know, if they've got six hit points, that means 13 points of damage will kill them. Right. So just, just extend that. Just make it 20, right? Make it a lot before they die. <laughs> and that, they, it can be down a lot, but they're not dead. And the, the, the real problem is like one crit can just take somebody from full to dead. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just don't kill him. I had, I, you know, the, the minor side point here, just since we're talking about it. You know, I had a, 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 young, a young girl who, who joined a game, and it was her first D&D game. And she made a first-level character, and she was hit right off the bat with, a, like, a, a big thing because she was in a higher, you know, people, everyone else was, like, third or fourth level. And, yeah, and it was just going to kill her outright. And I just remember looking at her, and her eyes were a little wide, and I'm like, you're down but not dead. You know, and she had clearly right, taken, like, right. 20 points more than dead. <laughs> and, like, a couple people at the table were just looking at me. I'm like, I'm not killing her at her first D&D game. I'm just yeah. not doing it. You know, I want her to come back next week. 
Right. Well, and that's the whole point of organized play, right? Is is that you should be coming back and and that kind of thing. So if you are playing this as organized play or with new players, that's a good way to do that. I agree 100% with that. I think Mike's dead on, even if you're sitting in organized play, that, yeah, with brand new players or even not brand new players, people who, you know, because theory, this can be played early on in the convention, right? Or early on in your season. Do you want their first experience of that convention or their first experience of the season to be have their character killed off? I think, Mike, you're dead on that. Extend that. You know, take them down a bunch, but don't try really hard not to kill kill them. Yeah, level yeah. one anyway. I mean, level you know That's higher it. than that, and no, you're right. You're absolutely. They got right. a big buffer. I mean, it's just it's a lot harder to kill them at level two, cause just because the, the the mass damage you have to do is so much higher. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. Double whatever their hit points are. Yeah. Exactly. Here on the East Coast, we don't kill PCs at level one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, because we're soft liberals. You know how it is. <laughs> Topher Cohan, what is your favorite and least favorite mini adventure within this adventure? So my favorite is actually the last one, the Mission 5, the Afterlife. I have had it. I played in it. And it was done by a really well-done DM who... Um, made it a very fun and exciting adventure. And I think the idea that you're in that room and you're going to deal with the tipping the pots over and stuff, um, if done right well with a good DM, is really kind of the pinnacle of what uh, a short adventure like this should be. Very tense, very... Uh, when I w- went through it, Mike, I had a completely different experience than you did. It was very harried, very tense. You were, we were all on the edge of our seats, like, oh my god, we got to get this done, we got to get this done. And everybody was working together. And the DM, you know, played by the rules and and didn't have us, you know, make some crazy rolls. Oh, and this guy made it so hard. Yeah, I don't know either. That that makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. It was my by far my favorite. Now I want to say very clearly that I didn't dislike any of them. I just like some better than others. This was by <laughs> far my favorite one of these five. It was a ton of fun to get a new character in there, and I think it also allows the players to think outside the box in that room and kind of gets their role playing critical thought thing rolling, which I thought was really great. I feel like people's least favorite are still actually really, really good adventures. So compliments to Sean for uh, making this uh, a great thing. Before we go, guys, I just want to go around the table real quick and have everybody say whether or not you would um, use this adventure uh, in home play, obviously with modifications to fit in your world and and that kind of thing, and and maybe stealing pieces here and there to put – you know, where you would and, and tweaking some things. Uh, Sam Dillon, would you? Yeah, in fact, I, I, um, so in my in my home game, uh, the the players uh, were captured by Torog and have now escaped, but they have been teleported to a ship, and they just realized that they are coming upon an island that is most commonly called by its name of the Isle of Dread. And... Part of the Isle of Dread is going to be this. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to behind the DM <laughs> screen and see how that plays out. That'll be in a couple episodes because we have a couple in the can. So <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, people will remember. They'll draw yeah. the threads. So yeah. uh, the Tome Show is one connected universe, just like Marvel. <laughs> that's so. right. That's right. <laughs> Mike Shea. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a nice, it's a nice package. I don't I have any plans to currently. But like like Fandelver, uh, you know, which I think is a, just a great adventure to always have handy. Um, I could definitely see like printing out a copy of this or sticking it on your phone. I mean, it's already on your phone, right? If you have Dragon Plus, bring it along with you. And and if you got some friends that want to play D anD D, I think it's a great, you know, great thing to run. 
Nice. So nice. can I add something to that, actually? Totally. If, if you don't want to just have it on your phone, there is a thing in Dragon Plus where you can get it to email you, and it will email you the link. And when you you can open it in a browser on your computer or laptop or, or your tablet. Yep. And if, if, and, you can also and it, Google it, and it's the first when, hit. When it opens, you can actually save it or download it as a PDF so you have a PDF. Yeah. That's what I did. That's how I printed it out. I Because I, my phone is too small for my old ass eyes. <laughs> I think if you Google it, uh, the PDF that's hosted on Wizards. Uh, Does it come up? Okay. Is the very first link, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this is something that I would keep in my back pocket. Like I would, with a little bit of tweaking, you could scale these, all five of these pretty easily. So this is that perfect one when you're getting ready to play your night and you, at the last minute, you know, you end up only having four of your six players or three of your six players or whatever, but you still want to play. So you could use these, I would use these as drop-ins, as little side missions almost. Yeah, yeah. I'm go- I plan on keeping them for when players decide to go uh way off the rails <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, that'll exactly. have something I can break out right away. Yeah, I want to talk about that really for five seconds that because this is an Adventures League game, you can actually play this at home as an Adventures League game. Get Download the Adventures League log off of uh, the D&D Adventures League.org, fill it out, and the experience you get and the downtime you get and the, re- and the renown you get all count if you want to take that character to your local friendly gaming store to play or to convention to play. So you can do that with this adventure. So you can play it as an official adventure league game at home. Can I ask you something about uh, – so one of the problems that I have with this, which isn't really a problem, honestly, but it could be a problem uh, for someone else, is that there's no map. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that's not an issue because I have enough D&D products and I have you know, I have maps of the Forgotten Realms. I, I'm, I'm not concerned about it. But it feels like the one thing missing is the map. So yeah. – we get that complaint. The Adventures League hears that complaint about the yeah. Adventures League in general, whether mm-hmm. it's encounters or expeditions or epics. That's the single most requested. I'm sorry. After, can I get that to play at my home game? Right. The, the next single most requested item is, are there maps? Now, there is a gentleman who creates the, uh, the last two seasons. He's created mm-hmm. the maps for the hardbound version of the book. Mm-hmm. Mike Schley. And, uh, I think that's what it is. Yeah, and he sold yeah. the maps mm-hmm. online. You can buy them, yeah. and they scale to be able to use them on virtual tabletop or get them printed out. So that's what we've pointed people towards. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of fan resources out there. There's a really great Hillsborough map mm-hmm. that, that that's mm-hmm. out uh, that's out there. If you do a little googling around, that some fans have created that's updated for this adventure for the, the you know for now, which is really well done. So, but yeah, Sam, uh, uh, I agree with you. I'm a map and mini guy, and so I miss the maps. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we hear quite a bit. Yeah. So there, there is, um, there, there is uh, the the Dragon Plus last time had the map exploring map thing. So just for the listeners, if they don't want to, if if they're not in the spot where they can get maps, otherwise there is that. I don't know how detailed it is in in this area of Hillsfar, but um, yeah, I just I, I wondered because it doesn't even give like even a little sketch that said okay. Here's Hillsfar, and here are these sort of outlying little farms and cathedrals and stuff. You know, it doesn't really do any of that. So for me, that was a weakness uh, that was easily overcome. But I could, you know, I could, I could understand a, a sort of non, not as experienced DM looking at that, thinking, "Oh man, do I have to draw my own map?" On the D and D Adventures League, on the uh, D and D Adventures League dot org, 
there's um you can google for it or it's state dash of dash hills far and i'll give it to james to put it in the show notes there's a rage of the demon hills far which is a state of hills far gives a lot of information about it and there's a map uh link on there also so uh okay. for people who are new to the area who don't who haven't played this on other things it's um it's there and you should um, go check it out like i said I'll, I'll give it to james to put it in there Nice, nice. Yeah, send it my way because I would love to have it uh, just for personal use as well. (laughs) Nice, nice. All right, guys. Well, I think that is probably going to do it for this episode. Uh, So where can people find you, Topher Cohen? Uh, They can find me on the Facebook at um, Topher Cohen, K-O-H-A-N, or on the Twitters at Topher (laughs) A-T-L, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. Nice. Nice. And if they want to play, organized play with you? Uh, so, yeah, every Wednesday night and on um, certain Saturdays and Sundays, I help run uh, organized play at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. So if you live in the area, come check us out. I'm also, the, as James said, the Southeast Regional Coordinator for the Adventures League. So if you have any questions about organized play or the Adventures League, don't hesitate to reach out to me, and I will either answer them or point you in the right direction. And if you're a first-time player... Topher will not kill your character. So I will not. I, will not. I feel a little guilty when when I did. We just finished our encounter season, and I did have a TPK. And as much as I outwardly projected glee inside, I was a little sad. After that. <laughs> you got to stay strong. And uh, another guy I know who recently had a TPK, Sam Dillon. Uh, where yeah. can people find you? Uh, you can find me at rpgmusings.com where I blog uh, semi-regularly and you can also find me on the Bonus Action Podcast right here on the Tome Show Network and on Behind the DM Screen right here on the Tome Show Network and on playontarget.com not on the Tome Show Network but still a cool podcast great great podcast everybody should go check that out and Mike Shea where can people find you hopefully no TPKs recently no no TPKs uh, I did kill a character with the Beholder, but other than that, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to happen. Um, slyflourish.com is my website, and I'm on the Twitter at uh, twitter.com/slyflourish. Uh, and I run a uh, encounters game on uh, Sundays at one o'clock at Game On in Vienna, Virginia. Nice. That's an organized play game. Nice, nice. So there you go, people. You have options if you want to check these guys out. Uh, And if you want to get TPK'd or killed by a beholder, it would be an honor to have any of these guys do that to you. So, uh, (laughs) and you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. We want to know what you think about this adventure. Leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website at thetomeshow.com in the show notes for this episode, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Also, you can check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Topher, Mike, and Sam. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and an extra special double thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like this show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.